Okay, I think we're going to try to get started. I will uh, just take a minute to welcome everybody. Um, Donna Margolis. Um, most of you uh, I know, and I'm very happy to see you here. Um, despite wishing it was there were different circumstances uh, to be gathering together. Um, just want to say also, given the sheer number of people that are on the call and continue to join, um, just seeing everybody's faces together is um, an extreme, um, it's just an extreme feeling of chizuk for, I hope, everybody. I'm very, very aware that those of us that are in Israel, and there are many on this call that I see that are actually living in Israel, um, and maybe I'll speak for a minute a little bit about that experience, um, but I also know that many of, that everybody that's here, and really Jews throughout the world, wherever you are, like we're all in this together. As one family, people, and in some ways, it's possible that. Oops, if you're not muted, please mute. Um, I can't let people in talk and mute people. <laughs> um, but um, what I was saying is that I know that this is a shared experience, and um, and in some ways, for people that aren't sort of living it on a moment-to-moment basis in Israel, it's extremely difficult. Uh, to know how to be no sebaol, how to be part of the experience, how to help, how to be contributive, and also just how to deal with um, the pain and the grief that everybody is experiencing. Um, in particular, I will say that for those of us that are in Israel, in some ways, um, people, somebody actually messaged me today, which I really appreciated and said, like, give me a, like, just give me a picture of what your day to day life is like, like, what are you actually doing, you know, like, because we're not most of us. Uh, and I don't actually shouldn't speak for everybody, because I don't know where you all are. But those of us that are not in immediate harm's way are not spending our days in bomb shelters, but nevertheless, our life is extremely affected. Um, so just to give you a quick picture, you know, after the back and forth with COVID, people again today um, are home with children without school. Um, so that is a big thing. And in Israel, that's a particularly massive impact because people are living in very small spaces <clears throat> um, and because of the fear, there's not a lot of people out. So, you know, it's not like, okay, your kids are home from school, so you can spend the day at the park. Um, people are really trying to stay much closer to home. Um, and that in just in and of itself is a strain. Um, there is, I don't want to, I don't want to exaggerate, but there are challenges getting certain food items. Um, Rabbi Shuren went into the grocery store near his house and there were no fruits and vegetables. We haven't been able to get eggs. Um, you know, people are a little bit because we're not having deliveries of food, but also because 
um, you know, people are kind of doing those COVID runs on the grocery stores and like loading up, right? Um, and then in addition to the sort of those things that at the moment I would say are challenges, but not, you know, extreme, there is um, a constant um, sense of need um, because there are soldiers throughout the country, and I'm sure you've all heard this everywhere, people know this, that need things. So that means on a moment to moment basis, people are shopping and buying and, and packing and traveling and taking things to army bases and bringing them back. There's also thousands of families that have been displaced from the Southern communities. And each day that is growing because for at the beginning, they really weren't able to leave. It was too difficult to get on the roads and to get the families out and people were scared to drive. But now as they're sort of taken better control of the South, more and more families are, um, are moving like into the center of the country and into Jerusalem. So I have a, an alum from Chappelle's who just called me and said, we've got a house with 10 bedrooms. It's filled with, I don't remember what he said, maybe seven families from the South. They all have kids and people are showing up with food and clothes and toys and games and puzzles and it's an absolute chaos here and he he's a, a great guy he's like you know not a young person i mean he's maybe 30. so he said like we need an adult here can you please come and help get this place in order so those are just the kinds of things there are whatsapp groups for each community that are trying to get the the needs you know taken care of so literally every couple of minutes I get a new WhatsApp about some other need. So you know, people are talking about not spending time on the news. Frankly, there's I haven't watched the news today, not because I am not watching it, but because there's just no time. So the whole country is mobilized. The yeshivas have mostly gone back, um, even though it's early and you know they would normally not go back until Rosh Chodesh, but the guys who are learning in yeshivas are taking their role in this extremely seriously and um, and are really intensifying their Torah learning and recognizing their very important role in the whole situation also. And I'll just say one last point, which is really the hardest one for me to bring up, and that is that there are many, many Leviahs taking place. And that means that people are going to the Leviahs and they're going to Shivas and they are, of course, as we do as Jews, preparing food to be taken to Shiva homes. And um, right now, as we are here on this Zoom call, um, everybody in my neighborhood has gone outside with Israeli flags because there were two brothers that were killed from the same family. The father was the rabbi of the young Israel shul uh, in my neighborhood. And so the whole neighborhood, all the residents have gone out with Israeli flags to line the streets to escort the family as they travel in this funeral procession. So that's just a slice of life. I. Um, I'll say again, I can't thank you enough for being here tonight, for showing 
your love and your support and your friendship and community and um and it, it's just so meaningful to to me and and i'm sure to rabbi sharon and rabbitson sharon to see all of you um and i i'm gonna turn things over now to uh, rabbi sharon and i just want to say in advance <clears throat> That I have no idea what he's going to say, and I don't think he has any idea what he's going to say. Um, <laughs> I don't think that there is anything to say, um, but I, I really thank you, Rabbi Sharon, for trying and for always being here, wherever we are, for all of us. Um, everybody wants your wisdom and your your love and your sense of uh, very um, unique and and helpful understanding. So thank you for taking on this task, even though uh, I know that it's an incredibly difficult one. Okay, thank you very much for joining. <clears throat> I think that Don is correct that I really didn't really prepare for it because you know when something like this happens, you just keep thinking about it all the time. And things pop into your head and, you know, certain things you dismiss and other things you keep. Um, <clears throat> I know that I was quite worried about the situation in Israel um, over the last number of months, uh, maybe even closer to uh, eight, nine months already. Um <clears throat> that the people of Israel, there's something, that's a change that took place, a qualitative change as opposed to quantitative change took place with regard to the relationship between some of the secular Jews and some of the Orthodox Jews. And um, when I got to Israel, you know, the, the problem was the secular Jews and the ultra-Orthodox Jews. And I've been noticing over the years a change and um, some of the secular Jews of Israel have found this, the Dati Lumi person, the nationally religious person, much more uh, threatening than the Haredi person. Um, because it's funny, it's almost like, um, it's, it's almost ironic that the fact that the Dati Lumi person goes to the army threatens them more than the Haredi person who doesn't go to the army, right? Um, the Haredi person who doesn't go to the army, just they're angry at him. The Dati Lumi person who does go to the army, they're just afraid of what he's going to do to the country. Uh, being that he's, you know, he in many times that Lumi person lives in areas that the secular person might not live or might not think you should live and so on and so forth. Um, uh, and therefore, or they, or they see someone moving up to high levels in the army, which generally Haredi people don't, even if they do go to the army, but the Tilumi people are moving up. And we've had already generals with the Tilumi. We certainly have generals who are Masorati. Um, <clears throat> this is all, um, it all feels like a threat to, to secular people. I don't know what the percentages are. Maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 15%. I don't think it's more than that. But uh, it is not, it, over the years I have been here, you know, for the last 46 years, I know that 46 years, the, what, the secular world did not feel threatened by 
the Dati Lumi world, by the national religious world. And over the years, I've watched it slowly grow until it reached a peak with regard to a subject that's not even necessarily related to the Tilimi world versus the Haredi world versus the secular world. Um, it just like sort of blew out of proportion um, the, the issue about, you know, how we relate to certain issues in the court system uh, in Israel. Obviously, I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I noticed like a um, qualitative change where there was real hate and in fact, in this particular case, um, it sort of spilled over to the Haredi world, even though the Haredi world had very little to do with this particular issue of anything. It was the Dati Lumi world because the, the lawyers that appeared in public all wear these knitted kipot for the most part. Um, so uh, just being observant or religious uh, was felt threatening and was projected as something, you know, the religious people feel X, the secular people feel Y, which is was not really so true. Uh, but I did notice that, um, and worrisome, I noticed that something that I felt like, what what's going on over here? I feel a difference, you know, in the attitude of the, of the secular person, um, I don't feel so much, again, I could be wrong, but I'm talking about my personal feelings. I didn't do studies on this. I don't feel that the Datilu me person changed that much. Um, I feel that the secular person st maybe started to realize that the country soon won't be theirs anymore uh, because of the fact that the Datilu me world has more kids than them. In many cases, they have somewhere between four and six or seven kids. Um, the Haredi world certainly has much larger families. And, you know, people keep talking about the fact that the religious people, quote unquote, religious people are going to take over the land of Israel, which, of course, is very threatening to the, the, the secular people. And I sort of I don't blame them to feel threatened. Here's where I, I feel that. Unfortunately, I'm not in a position, I don't feel, to be able to do all that much. If someone, there are people in position to do this, and nobody sort of nipped it in the bud and said, okay, there has to be um, groups that talk together, speak together um, about this issue, about this, you know, hate between the secular and religious world. You know, the secular world, just to give you an example, came into B'nai Brock. And they started protesting in B'nai Brak, which like nobody could figure out what did that protest have to do with anything. But it did have to do with the fact that deep, deep down, psychologically, they feel very threatened. Now, the reaction, which was based on uh, a talk of Rev Edelstein, was that they were, you know, that they gave out food and they gave out drink and it was Thursday night. So they gave out cholin, right? Um, everybody saw those moving situations where, you know, some of the more left-wing people were like moved by this fact. And of course, that's what should be done is there should be, uh, there should be dialogue between these. And there was no dialogue. I think there was no dialogue or was very little dialogue because nobody thought it would blow out to this proportion. Just like nobody thought that that Hamas, Yemach Shemam, 
could blow out to this proportion. Nobody had any idea that, that could happen. Certainly, I had no idea of the damage they can do. Um, I feel that the government and, you know, and Shin Bet and uh, not going into now what, you know, what was wrong over there, what went wrong, because that'll, that'll all be discussed. But I, I don't know if they had an idea of how threatening Hamas is on a, on a global level. Um, I certainly did not know that. Um, and uh, we tend to think of a terrorist group of, you know, like four or five terrorists being sent and stuff like that. Here were, there were, you know, at least 1,500 to 2,000 terrorists that came into Israel. So it caught everybody off guard, um, just like um, what happened, you know, with the secular religious people really caught me off guard because I didn't expect this, I didn't expect this reaction to a particular issue. And I, I don't think, uh, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu thought this either. I think he realized that he put his hand on a on a time bomb, okay? But he didn't realize it at the time. He thought it would go through in the Knesset with a little bit, of course, everybody would be screaming, which they always do. But it, it set off, it set off something in the secular person that changed everything, okay? Uh, and I think what should have been done at that time, and again, I'm not putting blame on anyone because maybe I should have done it. Someone should have done it. Um, I simply wasn't ready for it. There should have been dialogue and saying, listen, let's get this, let's get it into perspective. You know, people have that position. Again, I'm not sure if the secular world would have listened or would want the dialogue. I'm not sure, but maybe. I don't know if we really I have a feeling we didn't try hard enough and maybe we didn't even try because we didn't feel it was so out of you didn't understand how out of proportion it was but i mean it 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 rose to everybody's note everybody noted it when when young kipper came around like we were in shock when young kipper came around and to be honest with you there were a number of newsreels and i'm sure everybody in israel saw it or many people in israel saw it uh of you know uh secular people being in shock Right. One woman, I remember she says, I'm one of the women who protested, you know, with the, you know, with the left side of Israel. Right. I'm one of the women who protested, but I wanted to go to, you know, uh, I wanted to go to pray. Uh, you know, I wanted to go Davin, she said, with her husband and her daughter uh, for for Neila and listen to the chauffeur. And she couldn't believe what happened. This is a woman who's on the left side of Israel, right, and voting, you know, like on the against side, and she was in shock of what she saw. She saw one woman being slapped across the face by a secular woman. Um, the the culmination on Yom Kippur uh, of not allowing a religious a religious ceremony to take place in Israel, and of course the news, many of the news. Uh, stations that were a little bit more um uh you know empathetic or uh to the to the to the other side to the more right wing showed a case where the arabs were were praying publicly and there was a separation between men and women right so that didn't scare the secular world which tells you yeah they're not afraid of that because they don't feel threatened by the arab world even though i'll tell you the truth we should now have changed that as well. 
uh, but but um, but they felt very threatened by the Datilumi world, the fellow who created, who wanted to create this tefillah, Hamon, uh, this tefillah, a very public tefillah, was a fellow with a knitted kippah, you know, which normally I would say that's the best person to send, you know, to deal with. And yet, you know, the high court, it seems, said that, you know, it's public and therefore you have to have, a, you can't have a machitza, to men and women, all these things that, to me, they were sending a different signal than what was actually happening. When the high court said that they were sending a different signal, they weren't really talking about davening publicly with a mechitza, without a mechitza. But um, these are things that happen. And of course, of course, they said the same thing with Simchat Torah. Now, I don't know what happened on Simchat Torah because the war broke out on Simchat Torah. But, um, but I do know that on Simchat Torah, the secular world, uh, and again, I say secular world, I'm very general. I'm very much generalizing because a lot of the secular world, who we call secular, there was one fellow who said after we saw what happened on Yom Kippur, I, I saw an interview with him. He said, "I am completely secular. I don't keep Shabbat. I don't keep Kashrut. But I'm going to start wearing a kippah because I want everybody to know what I feel about the religious people." You know, people. The reaction was so, so interesting to see that secular people were so taken aback. But what happened on Yom Kippur and what was about to happen on Simchat Torah? Because they said, you're not having a public gathering of Sifrei Torah on Simchat Torah. Now, I don't exactly, I haven't kept up, so I didn't know what happened. And it's what all, happened is there was a war. Right, I'm saying there was all, you know, water under the bridge because anything that was supposed to happen basically didn't happen because of the war. But the point over here is that we're, we're witnessing something that was... Um, that uh, is a very, very serious, serious problem in the Jewish people. It's always been a problem in one group or another. Um, and, uh, you know, I found it to an extent between the Haredi world, the Tilumi world, the Tilumi world, Haredi world, secular world, you know, Haredi world. There's there's so many different problems that have to be worked out. And, um I, I want to, you know, to me, again, and this is only me, it's my personal feeling. It's what going through my mind is that, you know, oh, the Medrash and the Chazal in, in Yerushalmi that says that in the time of Shaul, people went out to war and they lost, even though there was no idol worship. And the time of Achav, people went out to war and they won. And, you know, Achav was married to a non-Jew, Achav was an idol worshiper, the Hei Hayidia, right? And they went out to war and won because there was no lush and horror. People did not speak about each other. People did not berate each other. So we see the power in Chazal of thousands of years ago. They say the power of, of Achtut, right? You have Achtut, you win a war. You don't have Achtut, you can't win a war, right? Much more difficult to win a war. Um, and to me, that's that. There's something extremely important about that that's relevant to what we're doing today. And we have to understand the following thing: everybody is 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 talking about the fact that there's such an achdus in the Jewish people right now, and there is an achdus in the Jewish people in Israel and around the world. It's unbelievable the achdus. In fact, there's even an achdus to an extent in the in the non-Jewish world with 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 the Jewish people. 
um, you know, many of the countries uh, are standing by the Jews who never generally stand by the Jews, including the United States, the particular government we're in was not so sympathetic to Israel. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're very sympathetic. I mean, Blinken's uh, speech today, I think he was actually moved when he was speaking. Usually I feel politicians are two-faced, but I don't think he was two-faced. He was really, he was really affected by um, what happened. You know, 25 Americans so far we found were killed, were murdered. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, and especially when the army goes out, you know, everybody feels that the army in Israel is, are, are, are people as some, something special. And um, I get very emotional about the army in Israel. I, you know, I have a grandson in the army. I have a few sons-in-law who were not yet called up. Um, but um, I get very emotional about it because I think those soldiers not only put their lives on the line, but they, they, they do it lemahadrin. Okay, it's not like, you know, it's like a, a task for them. I just want to tell you, I have a grandson who's in um, who's in the paratroopers. Uh, he's in um, Tzanchanim and his 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 unit was called up. And there were a few guys that were not called up. OK, and there was a point in they were called up and sent home. Right? They were called up and sent home. So so there was a. um there were uh, there were guys who were calling him because they thought he has clout. We call it in Hebrew or, or in some other language, protexia. They called him to get them in again. They want to come back. Yeah, he was their officer. Right, because he was their officer, but they don't realize that at the end he didn't do such a great job, so that he didn't have the, what do you call it, okay? No, but uh, he's not, uh, he's not in, you know, they're all, none of them in the regular army. Now. Right, I mean, they're all in Miluim. They're all in Miluim. But, um, but um, <clears throat> but the point over here is that he didn't have any protection to get them back, but they called him to be able to get them back, you know. Um, so that's a very special army, obviously, that yeah, we have. So coming from all over the world. Yeah, back. I mean, yeah, we know that, that, you know, people so, flew back. There are pilots, you know, Delta's flights to Israel. They have Israeli pilots and they don't have any pilots to fly to Israel right now. Right. Um, so. Uh, you know, all in all, uh, we understand that the army is very special and everybody across the board understands it because the army is the one place where everybody gets together. I mean, I saw that for myself when I was in the Israeli army. Um, I saw that like all of a sudden, all those ideas about, you know, religious, secular, right wing, left wing didn't have very much didn't have didn't have a lot of teeth to it you know we're all in the same unit we're all trying to do the same job we're trying to protect israel and that we're all on the same page and we know the secular people again it wasn't a large amount but threatened not to come to miluim a number of months ago and every one of them showed up they didn't need an extra phone call okay so the army is very special as far as being Mached the Klal Yisrael. And generally, the army is not so busy. I mean, the army is always busy with its Sadir people, but this type of call-up is quite rare. I mean, we've been in Israel many years, so we have seen it a number of times. But um, <clears throat> but that's one thing that brings Achdus to the Jewish people. 
Um, <clears throat> and and uh, it's a very unfortunate that, uh, you know, another thing that brings Achdus to the Jewish people is suffering. Uh, when people suffer, and I can't even describe um, how much the people in the South uh, really suffered. Um, our suffering right now, I mean, in those wounds, are get, I, I don't know if they'll ever heal, but they're going to take a very long time to heal. Uh, there's going to be a lot of ne necessary therapy and no se beom chavero. I find that, you know, that, that there's not yet enough no se beom chavero with the people in the South as there is with the army. I'm hearing more about the army than the people in the South. We have to change that a little bit. You know, we have people to make it. Yeah, yeah, I know people are putting up, but I don't hear about it the same way I hear about the army. Okay. These people are in much, a very and terrible, terrible shape. They've lost families, whole families been killed out, right? Um, and uh, they really need a lot of our tfilot, a lot of our, um, uh, a lot of our sympathy, our empathy uh, for them. Uh, and, um, and, you know, that's something that we really, in my opinion, we really have to work on. It's hard to work on it from chutzlords, but I, you know, I think that there can be things done in chutzlords for these, these, um, our brethren who have lost their whole kibbutzim and lost their homes and lost family, their children, and so on and so forth, uh, lo aleinu. Um, but I feel that uh, there's a problem with the Jewish people. I I'll bring out the problem with uh, something I heard from Reb Shlomo Volba. Now, we were in Israel, of course, in 1990 already, when there were 39 Scud missiles sent to Israel from Iraq. And, um, and you know, for the most part, I can't say they did a lot of, you know, they did damage in the Tel Aviv area, but um, Rehovo, Tel Aviv, other places, Ramakan, right, the, the, they did a lot of damage, but very few, if any, like, people were killed actually from, from the rocket itself. And, of course, the, the observant world, and I remember especially the Haredi world, built up on that, you know, how God watched over us. Um, uh, and, and that, you know, even though he sent these, you know, very serious rockets to Israel, um, you know, did damage, but there was very little loss of life. Um, and I remember Shlomo Volba getting up in the Mir Yeshiva after the war, and everyone was so elated by the fact that we had this war, and like almost nobody was a you know was didn't cost almost any lives right it was uncomfortable for sure but it didn't cost any lives and Shlomo Volba said for all the people who think that this is miraculous I want to just ask you how did you just change your life because you saw a miracle and everybody in the mirror she was just sitting there right how many people actually they were claiming we saw miracles but then, you know, the next morning, Olam Kibbin Hago Nohe. The world was just the same it was three weeks before or four weeks before, right? What Shlomo Volvo was trying to bring out is we tend to become complacent very quickly. And this is something that this particular event, because this particular event, everybody is saying is unprecedented in, in certainly in Israel's history, okay? So if it's unprecedented, we have to take note of it in an unprecedented way. Okay, we can't let it just pass and um and and just you know 
and, and just say, okay, you know, we went, it was hard. There was a pogrom here, a very serious pogrom. And the truth is, it felt like, it felt like a pogrom um, of Eastern Europe. That's what it felt like. The only difference was basically, I mean, you know, we always said never again, it's not going to happen in Israel, but it did happen in Israel. Okay. Uh, and it, the only difference was is that we have an Israeli army. And that's pretty important. That's a pretty big difference. Okay. Um, and therefore, uh, I think what, you know, as far as I'm concerned is we cannot allow this, um, this particular event, which is, uh, you know, horror and horrendous and, you know, any, any adjective you want to use for it, terrible, terrible event to just pass without us taking note and making sure the government has its role or what it has to make sure. Okay, but we have our role as certainly as Jews and, and religious Jews to make sure this event never happens because we have to create a dialogue between the religious and secular, no matter how tough that is for them and for us. That's what has to be done. I mean, in other words, the bottom line is we have to really make a Kiddush Hashem, you know, as much as possible and tell the people, you know, get the, the message across to them that. We have to find a way to have achtus. If I'm secular, you're religious. There has to be a way because achtus. The 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 issues here are not you know God caused this because of X. God's with. I'm not here to tell you why God caused it. I find it to be very um, challenging um, religiously, very challenging religiously to um, on you know we call it on simcha Torah, but simcha Torah is is at best a minhag, okay? It was on Shmini Atzeris. That's a lot more of a, of, of a thrust that, that, that uh, in the Jewish people. Shmini Atzeris was always looked at as something where God and the Jewish people have this rendezvous together without anybody. It's this personalized holiday that no one else takes part in. And that holiday was shaken to its core, okay? So... For me, it's like, I just can't even understand it. But don't forget, we had already a war on Yom Kippur as well, you know? Um, so there's the, you know, the level of, there's the level of, you know, of nature. And of course, Yom Kippur was a perfect day for a war. You know, Simchas Torah was a perfect day for a war or one of the more perfect days of a war, right? Because the Jews are off and the Jews are not on and people are away and this and that. Um but but beyond that, we have to realize that we know that God is not happy with us. The question is, what do we do, right? So there's the short term in what we do. Now we have to daven, that everything should go well, and that we should put particular stress on the fact that, you know, we have enemies trying to destroy us. And of course, many people have said already, you know, uh, you know, reporters and you know newspaper news uh news people have said um reporters on the news have said that it's not really about hamas it's not really about it's about the arab world wanting to destroy the jewish world it's about it's about iran it's about hezbollah who's controlled by iran right um we have to be davening that these people um, who are going to continue trying. We may, I hope, we'll get rid of Hamas. I hope the government will do what needs to be done 
and remain as angry as they have been. The people of Israel and the government remain as angry. Uh, unfortunately, people calm down. You know, I hope that anger continues on till every last rocket and every last Hamasnik is buried six feet under. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that it'll happen. Without our prayers, I'm afraid it won't happen. Uh, and therefore, I think we have to be mispowered when we say shover oyevim, right? Shover oyevim, our, 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 uh, our enemy should be broken. We have to be have in mind these enemies, the you know the enemies of the Jewish people, Malchus Yishmael, if you want to call it. Um, I think we need uh, you know We need Nisim today. We need to make sure that the soldiers go in if they if they're going to go in, which it sounds like from every they will, that they return safely. You know we have to daven for them that they return safely. You know. Uh, it's it's a very difficult battle going into a place that you know that has so many residents in such a small area and so many alleyways and so on and so forth. You know, many soldiers have who have been there before have said how difficult you know fighting uh, combat fighting house to house combat is is you know is in Aza, um, and we have to make the right decisions after the war. In other words, even if we succeed. What's going to happen after the war? Sometimes we win a war, right? And we lose other things because like we didn't take advantage of it, right? Um, I would also want to mention the fact that, um, you know, empathy is much easier when we're sad. But we have to learn to be empathetic when we're happy to. When good things happen to the Jewish people, we have to learn to be empathetic, you know? And I think that's something that we should work on. Because, you know, uh, it's easy to feel when someone's in pain, it's easy to feel, you know, with their pain or easier to feel with the pain. When someone's happy, you feel like, well, I don't have to feel with his happiness, right? Because he's happy, right? No, no, you have to make him feel even happier because he's happy. You know, you have to feel with his happiness. So when good things happen in Israel, we just let them pass, right? That's what we do. We let them pass. Uh, we, I, I, when really good things happen, I don't remember having a Zoom meeting about it. I don't remember yet. Did we ever have a Zoom meeting about really good things, you know, happening in Israel? When the embassy moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, I don't remember that whole of dark home institutions, including myself, saying, you know, I think we should have a Zoom meeting about that. We waited for that like since 1948, right? For America kept saying, we're moving, we're moving. Right, move it. They never moved it. All of a sudden, Trump came and he moved it. And, you know, people were actually very afraid that the Arabs would riot and everything. And there wasn't a shot fired, you know. And I don't see, you know, it just passed. We're very happy that we moved, that we don't have to go to Tel Aviv to get our passports. And we're certainly happy that we don't have to cross the street on Fishachad and go to the other side of the Arab community, right? Uh, the East Jerusalem Arabs and get our our, uh, our um, you know, all the things we have to process with America, uh, you know, like uh, social security things and, you know, and uh, passports and so on and so forth. But but I don't remember like getting this big simcha and let's talk about it, you know? So I, I think that there's a problem that we let certain things pass, which, um, which we shouldn't. Um, 
that's that's one thing that I think is um, extremely important that we work on. Again, with the davening and finding the places in the tefillah that are very relevant, right? It's extremely relevant now to daven that b'kavana, sim shalom right? That tefillah is more relevant than any other place in the Shemarnat today, right? So we have to really sit there and daven those those um, those tefillot. Um, the, I want to say one last thing, but I'm not going to make it a part of the a part of the session. Just to like just a little bit of a point. Um, I think the life of every Jew is important. Okay, I think if a terrorist kills a Jew in Yehuda and Shomron, right? We probably should have a Zoom, okay, for every Jew. But it's hard to have a Jew for every Zoom because unfortunately a lot of Jews have been killed, especially in the last, since the right-wing government took over, I hate to say it, right? So um, I want the government, again, you know, I know that, you know, at a time like this, you would think that everybody would join the government, right? And there are people joining the government, but it didn't happen like everybody thought it would happen. So, you know, we know that historically, Jewish governments in Israel have had tremendous problems with regard to each other, okay? I don't have to go back in history to talk about um, Ben-Gurion and Menachem Begin, that in certain cases it actually led to bloodshed between Jews, something that, you know, we haven't experienced very much in, in Israel. Um you know, um, you know, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu, his father, he claimed, couldn't get a position in Israel because he was right wing. He was a professor. He couldn't get a job at Hebrew University because he was of the wrong party. Okay, this is Sinat Chinam Sheinkamo. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to share a story with you that my father, Zechariah Rocha, told me that he heard from the Panavija Rav when he was a child, okay? He was living in Lithuania, and his mother sent him to Panavish High School. Not in Bnebra. Panavish High School in Panavish, okay? Panavish was about 15, 20 miles away from his home, which probably today he would have had a bus there every day, right? 20 miles from Ritava. But in those days, of course, you went by horse and buggy. So it was, you know, you stayed in the, you stayed in, you know, in Panavish in the yeshiva as a kid. And the Panavish Arava, as you know, who built B'nai Brak and set up Panavish yeshiva in B'nai Brak, uh, you know, by the, fa- towards the founding of the state, before the founding of the state, he was already working on it. Um, he came back to Israel, he came back to Lithuania after a visit. And the boys stood around him. My father at that time was 14 years old. My, fa- my father said, we stood around him and we asked him, like, what did he see in Israel? They were so excited, you know, when in those days, it was not easy to get to Israel like today. You just can't get on a plane, you know? So they were so excited. He was in Israel, you know, for them, it was like the, the Temanim when they came to Israel or the Sephardic population, they, they thought like they're coming to the Olam Agula. You know, it was just so exciting for them. So they wanted to know what he saw. And he said, I saw two very old things. I saw the Kotel HaMaravi and I davened there. 
and I saw Sinat Chinam. Both are very old things and still well and alive in Israel. That's what he said. And of course, he was talking about the political parties of Israel before the founding of the state. You know, you had the Etzel and you had the Haganah and you had the Lehi, right? And, you know, you have to be able to put things aside when it's the greater good of the Jewish people. And in many cases, they couldn't. They actually couldn't put it aside, right? So this is something I think we have to take to heart. And Be'ezrat Hashem, we will be menatzeach, Be'ezrat Hashem. We have to remember that there are people who are going to be suffering for years because of this. We can't forget about them, right? After the army, Be'ezrat Hashem goes home and everything goes back to normal. I mean, um, Donna said that the, the, the place doesn't look normal, right? It doesn't look normal when traffic is moving in Jerusalem. It doesn't look normal. I mean, I love it. I was, on, you know, I was, I was on the, you know, Krishachad. I crossed Krishachad today, going towards Tel Aviv, and I only waited for the light because I'm used to it. I think I can, of course, cross the whole Krish without waiting for the light, you know. And you know, there were like there's very little cars on the road anywhere in Jerusalem. Now. Some people said to me, because, you know, people are not going to work. But that's not the reason. The reason is, is because probably there's 200,000 cars that are less in Israel because those guys are in the army. Right. So and also there are many Arabs who would normally come to work who have cars and they're also not coming to work. So there are many less, much less cars. And the shook, you could tell from the prices, tomatoes last week were eight shekel. Now they were fourteen eighty, right? So it went up, you know, went up tremendously because it's harder to get vegetables. Because can you go to the Arab parts? Can the Arab parts deliver and so on and so forth? No, so no truck cer- yes, yeah, certainly, certainly there are, you know, um, certainly you can tell that we're we're talking about a very serious time in Israel, serious war. Thank God, you know when. People say, like, I couldn't get any bottled water in the supermarket, which is very difficult to get, right? But Baruch Hashem, there's water in the faucets. I'm not getting so upset about it, you know? There's water in the faucets. Nobody is starving in Israel, okay? Especially the soldiers, right? My my grandson said, please don't send any more food. I'm gaining too much weight, right? That's what he that's what he said on, on a Zoom with him yesterday. He says, we're all gaining weight. Stop sending the food, right? So they needed other things, which now people are bringing tons of other things to them. You know, it's such, it's such. I don't know if everyone heard this, but the the biggest request beyond equipment is for tzitzis. They need tzitzis army regulation green tzitzis, and there are, you know, videos of Hasidim making tzitzis for the army, which is so touching. And everybody, you know, and, and the people who want the tzitzis are not necessarily religious soldiers. Mm-hmm. To me, that's very, very uh, touching and very, very meaningful. I told my son, I told my son that they're not going to have tchelet. He wears tchelet. I told him they're not going to have tchelet because it's blue. It's not green. So they won't have tchelet. But they'll, they'll still be yotza. Anyway, um, the, the, again... Obviously, it's a it, you know in certain ways it's a very it's a it's a really emotional time, uh, and people are very, you know, together because of it. 
But we have to keep that which we have now and try to hold on to it afterwards. You know, it's always, we always say that it's easy to be happy and be good during Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. But the test is always in Cheshvan, Mar Cheshvan, when everything goes back to normal. What did I take from all those holidays, from Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah Rabbah, Shemini Yatzerah? What did I take from over there that I'm going to be bringing into the rest of the year, into the Mar Cheshvan, right? That's the big, that's the big challenge. And we have to have that in mind. We have to keep that in mind, that after everything settles down, we can't allow what happened before to happen again with between the secular and religious Jews. We have to see where they're coming from, their fears, and we have to try to address them. And we have to have organizations, which we have, but even more, that are going to address the fears of the secular Jews vis-a-vis the religious Jews. Now, some people ask some questions. Um, Rabbi Ferrin, I just uh, thank you. I know we're going to take the questions. Um, I just want to also add before we do that, and and I, you know, we recognize that this is the middle of the day for many of you. We have been on for almost an hour. If you need to go, we understand, of course. Um, I I want to make one point from my perspective in my professional role with Chappelle's and Midrashet Rachel. I have been working with many um, executive directors and uh, fundraising professionals um, that work with uh, Israeli nonprofits that service a very broad and diverse range of, of nonprofit organizations in Israel. And there is a um, there's just one message that it's really important for us to get out to you, which is that we're in the long haul right now. Like, remember when we started, God forbid, with COVID, um, and at the beginning we thought we were off of work for a week or two weeks or whatever, and we thought that, you know, this was all going to quickly end, and people were cooking for each other, and they were do, trying to, you know, do as much as possible to ha- to do things and be there, and there was a certain adrenaline to uh, that period. So we're kind of experiencing that now. And what Rabbi Shuren was saying was on the Bain Adam Le Chavero part of, of what we need right now, that that's not something that we should just be motivated to do today, but that's something that we need to be in for the long haul. Unfortunately, there's another aspect, and that is our willingness to do and our willingness to give has to also be in it for the long haul. So everybody is stretching themselves uh, right now. And my daughter just just shared with me, I don't know where she pulled this out from, but that when Yaakov went out to prepare for war, the, they also broke into three groups. One were the fighters, one were the, no, what was the third one? Yeah, one were the daveners, so the people that were praying, and one was the the gift givers, okay? And that's exactly what we're seeing today. People are learning and davening, and they're doing chesed, and they're building Jewish unity, and they are giving and giving and giving and giving. And what I just want to ask everybody is to be strategic. Make sure that your giving is going to organizations 
whether they're grassroots or not, that are really matching resources with needs. And I don't want to stop anyone. I really don't in the moment, but pace yourself because in a week from now, in a month from now, in six months from now, this country is going to need a lot. People are going to have to be rebuilding themselves, their families, their children, the therapy, the mental health um, treatment that people are going to need, homes, um, schools. Uh, I, I, I can't even really anticipate what it will end up being, but the need is going to be great and it's going to be great for the long haul. So please give and give and give and give and do and do and do and do, but don't stop. And make sure that your 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 bain adam lechavero continues uh, as in, in these ways also. Okay, Rabbi Sharon. The answer to that is that we you know the people who were in Israel during the um, tragic time of Gush Katif, those people were not really helped very much by the government, and you know they really needed a lot more help from private people. Um, they also went through a tremendous amount of psychological challenge. Besides their whole lives were like, you know, their houses, their shuls, their cemeteries. You know, uh, the difference was it was Jews that were doing it, but it was a terrible, terrible thing. In some cases, I wonder what's worse, um, even though, you know, the government had to do what the government voted on. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to save my criticism for another time. Uh, but I can tell you that um, that these people needed a lot of help. And certainly the people of the kibbutzim, Beiri and others, are going to tremendous amount of help. And I, and I have, um, deep down in myself, I have a little bit of a doubt whether they're going to get it. Okay? Uh, I hope they'll get it, but I have a doubt if they'll get what they need. And therefore, I think Donna's right. You know, make sure that you have money left to help these people you know, after everything has all settled down, the dust has settled, that these people may need, you know, they definitely need therapy and good therapists for a very long time. And certainly they need to be, you know, visited and comforted and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so one of the students, uh, one of my alumni asks, uh, this sounds like a little bit the events of Sefer Shoftim, uh, which... Um, which we find that they serve the Vodazara and then they dive into God and then God saves them. They stop serving a Vodazara, then they serve a Vodazara again. There's a cycle that the Jews go through. And she asks, you know, how do you get out of this cycle? She gives other examples like uh, the death of people in Meron, uh, the kidnapped boys, uh, and the previous wars and operations, you know, you have this achdus, and that's exactly what I was talking about, was that we tend to have this cycle, and basically she's proving the point from Sefer Shoftim. Sefer Shoftim is telling us, don't let that cycle win over you, right? That cycle that that auto automatically you go into the into auto automatic drive again, right? You You can't do that. This is something that we experience that's unprecedented and therefore the response has to be unprecedented. Um, and if anything, Shoftim is proving the point. Um, 
should diaspora Jews try to make Aliyah? I think diaspora Jews should always try to make Aliyah. Um, but I think at a, at a time like this, the, the Israel people, the Israelis and uh, the uh, people from Chutzot who made Aliyah will definitely appreciate more people making Aliyah after times like, like this. Now, how can we be present for our kids at this time? Now, it depends what you mean present for which kids. I mean, if kids are older, you could tell them that I need to volunteer and they'll understand why. Um, you know, even little kids, five, six, seven years old, understand that their, their dads have gone to the army. Their uncles have gone to the army. Um, and uh, they'll understand that, you know, that we're in a very uh, unique and special time right now. And they'll understand it's not like you're not going to be with your kids forever anymore. Right. Uh, you have, if you have to be present for, for your smaller kids who don't really know what's going on, of course, that will take precedence simply because there's plenty of people out there doing chesed, right? Uh, and if you need to give time to your children, of course, that should be a priority. On the other hand, it's very, it's very beautiful for a child to see how we are all in this together. And therefore, if the child is four or five years old or three years old, and, or, and they understand already what's going on to an extent in their own way, Drawing a picture of love to the soldiers is very, very, uh, is very, it, it's, it, it's a very big chinuch on the kids themselves, on, on, on achdus. And it's a tremendous, you know, soldiers have been writing when they get these little pictures from these little kids, right? Uh, what it means to them. They're mamish, you know, they're mamish, you know, some of them are brought to tears by what the kids write. And they're showing it publicly, these these letters that they got from five and six-year-olds. So yeah, my grandson mentioned it that, you know, in some of the packages of food, they got these little pictures and things from the children. And it, they're, they're, they're very, they feel so supported by it and so loved. It's very good for the morale right. besides everything. By else. the way, some of these things have been hung up in their barracks already. They hang them up on the wall. Right. So it's it's very beautiful. And if a child is old enough to partake in that, certainly that's going to bring a tremendous, it's a tremendous uh, in okay, that. I want you to know that my daughter in Canada told me that she took her two youngest to this uh, place where they were, everybody was bringing stuff to send to Israel. And, um, you know, the kids were very, very taken with it. And they were, you know, they made their pictures and they put them in their packages. And they were very, um, it was very important for them to see how everybody is, is, uh, is helping and contributing. In fact, he said that, uh, um, he, he, he said, he's like, I don't know, he's six years old, I think. Uh, he, he said, um, he said when he heard his cousin, his older cousin is going into Miluim, he's going to be a soldier again. He said, oh, Elio's going to be a warrior. Because you can imagine what movies this kid watches. So he said he's going to be a warrior, right? Um, now, uh, one of the questions was, how are you doing, Rabbi Sherin and Rebbe Sherin, right? Uh, and the answer is, you know, like, you know, everybody else in Israel, like, you know, we're, we're hurting. We're definitely hurting. Right. I dwell among my people. The yeah. way everybody else feels, that's how we feel. Right. It's hard. 
it's very it's hard, hard, but you know, we try you... to keep our spirits up and other people's spirits up right. because if we get depressed, they won. That's how I see it. If we get right. depressed, if we get sucked into negativity, they won. Okay. From Chutzlaritz, what is are the best things to be doing? What does Hashem want from us? Fila, Tehillim, Staka, donations, taking on mitzvos, all of the above plus. And the answer is yes. He wants, you know, all those things are very good. Tfila, Tshuva, Staka, they're all good. They're all tremendous at times of need like this, right? We just said it not too long ago. And Tehillim uh, and Tfila are very similar. You have stock and donations. Taking upon mitzvahs are always a good thing. But I, if you ask me which mitzvah, the mitzvah of Ben Chavero here is extremely important. Of, of you know, Achtus among Kal Yisrael. Um, I was in the Shuk Machane Yehuda today and uh, I went. I got on a train to get back to uh, to go to Madrash Rachel, and I saw an older man screaming at a younger guy. I wouldn't know what was it about. I didn't know what it was about, but I was saying to myself, "Why are you screaming at this kid now? Just think about what we're going through, and just try to be nice, okay?" I didn't have. To, I had to get off the train because I had to be in school. But I, I was really, I was really very sad to see that two people are screaming at each other. Uh, what would there should definitely be achtus here, and you know I'm very disappointed when in the government there's a lack of achtus and people are petty, but certainly we right who are soldiers, our family, everybody has soldiers in their family, relatives, uh, children. Uh, you know I saw one woman saying goodbye to three different soldiers. Uh, you know two girls and a boy. She was saying goodbye to them. You know, they were going into the army, all three of them, right? This is this is really hard for a parent, right? So, you know, we should really, really try to just be nice to everybody, you know? You know, I don't care if you had a fight with your husband or your wife, or you better be nice to people. Okay. <clears throat> now. Nice to your husband and wife also. Yeah, sure. Uh what, what should be our focus on our davening? I mentioned before the areas that are relevant. Um, we should sim shalom, right? We should, you know, these things that you, you yourself, if you know the translation of davening, could see clearly. We got a bunch of, I hate to say it in the Knesset, that's so important. And unfortunately, we don't, we don't, we need, we need a lot of, a lot more of that. And we should def definitely pray for it. Uh, Your leadership. Uh, let me see. Rabbi, I'm just going to take one of the questions in the chat while you're looking for more. Yeah. Um, uh, hi, Julie. Great question. Uh, Julie from Passaic is um, asking what they're, when asked by non-Jewish colleagues how they can help, um, what can they do? So I'm going to give uh, two very specific suggestions. Number one is there's absolutely no sin in a non-Jew giving tzedakah to a cause that will help us here. And in fact, uh, much of the support that comes in 
uh, to Israel does come from non-Jews. Uh, there are many, many, many worthwhile organizations that they could give to. I'm sure you don't need me to recommend them, but I'm happy to. Um, that is number one. Number two is uh, something that we didn't mention. And again, I'm sure this is not news to anybody. Um, we really, really, really need help to win this war in the media also. Um, we do see that um, there, there's been a lot of positive positivity uh, in the media and a lot of support for Israel, but there's of course also an unbelievable amount of the typical anti-Semitism that we do see and it's coming out full force. And we're, we're uh, not concerned, I mean, we know that that is gonna get worse um, in the next you know day, week, two weeks, month. So asking people to help fight the war in the media, on social media, um, and not just in social media, but, you know, if you have a business, there's a company that would put up a sign in solidarity with Israel, would add it to something on their w website in solidarity with Israel. I know that's asking a tremendous amount, but, um, but some people will be willing to do it. Um, you know, non-Jews can add those little things on their Facebook profiles, too, that say that they stand in solidarity with Israel. There's a lot that can be done to just change the tide a little bit um, in terms of media response. And again, um, I have some connections to people that are working on that. If anybody wants to be involved in that specific, specifically to um, to try, but just all of us are getting beautiful videos and and pictures and news articles about the amazing things that are going on. And uh, one of the things that these uh, advocacy groups are trying to promote, for example, in United Hatzalah, where part of the mission of Hatzalah is um, to actually service the entire uh, Israeli population, including Israeli Arabs. They also have uh, volunteers that come from the Arab sector and they all work together. So a lot of the posts right now that are coming out of United Hatzalah will show Arabs and Jews working together during this time. So those kinds of things are very powerful because they show that Israel isn't what people are saying that it is. So that that is a huge thing that I would um, you know, that I would ask all of our friends to to take on. And and again, of course, like I said, um, Tzedakah is always welcome as well. I just want to add that uh, I think what Donna was referring to is that a lot of times we have sympathy. We've seen this many times at the beginning because people, I don't know, for some reason are sympathetic when Jews die. They don't so sympathetic when Jews are living, but when they die, they get sympathetic. Um, so we have to make sure that that continues on in the long term, because uh, this war is not going to end like normally, like in a week or two. I wish it would. But at this point, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. And therefore, we need the sympathy to ongoing. And we have to figure out ways how to do that with the non-Jewish world. Keep, keep them on board. They're on board now. Keep them on board. Right. Because there are people who are going to try to disrupt it. There's no question about it. Um, <clears throat> there was a picture that I, somebody sent me um, where there's a there's a, a Jew in a talus and a, a soldier's uniform 
and he's davening with his children. And next to him is this Muslim, you know, bent down his little rug davening. And he's also in an IDF uniform. And it <laughs> says, don't think this war is between Muslims and Jews. Very, very powerful image. Very powerful image. Wow. Okay. Um, now, uh, why do we have such an ongoing difficult journey through history? So much pain and loss. Okay. I mean, that's an unbelievable question. That's a question that is very existential and profound as far as, um, as far as Judaism goes. Um, look, you know, Jews have suffered. And one of the, you know, one of the reasons why we're so resilient is because we have suffered, right? Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that the state of Israel was born out of the Holocaust, you know, uh, the Jewish people are resilient people. They learn to have to be a resilient people because of what they went through. Uh, so they don't let things die very easily. Um, uh, ideologies and stuff live on. Um, I think also, you know, the Chazal say one of the three things that's Nicknes Be'asurim is Eretz Israel, right? So again, I'm not going into, you know, what God's part was in this, which there's a question about that too. You know, every and I certainly have certain ideas about how you know God interacts with the world. Not everybody agrees with me. Maybe very few people agree with me, but uh, I have certain ideas about that. Uh, but as far as this question is concerned, um, you know, it's it's it, pain. Pain. People grow from pain, and God wants the Jewish people to grow. Why He picks certain types of pain and not other types of pain? Why does he pick people going on Kiddush Hashem? I don't really know. Um, you know, this is too hard for the human mind and the human emotion to tackle. Uh, but definitely uh, the question always has to be where Soloveitchik said, is how are we going to get past this? How are we going to be resilient? What do we do now that this happened? How do we make sure it never happens again? Because we said never again and it happened. So how do we make sure it never happens again? Um, <clears throat> how do prayers work? And if they do, then how does that affect free will? Prayer is able to, um, to push God in our direction. Okay. Um, so even if, um, even if God is interested in one thing, we know that we can argue with God and push God in direction. Most Rabbeinu didn't quite effectively right? In, in a number of cases. So we know that, um, that we can, um, we can feel is something that it's one of the modes that can push God, maybe, maybe the best mode that can push God. And arguing with God is very important. Rabbi Sachs was a big um, fan of pushing this idea that Judaism is not a religion where we that the leaders are supposed to just subdue themselves to God. They're supposed to argue with God. And that's, he even said once, I heard him say, that's why God never told us why he does what he does. Because if we would know why God does what he does, we probably would accept it. And God didn't want us to accept it. He wanted us to argue with him. So he didn't tell us why we're doing it. So we'll be angry and scream at him. And that's what we have to do. I want to add to that. I want to add to that because... When, when it comes to davening, we have the ability to just talk directly to Kaddish Baruch Hu. 
And I think that it's really, really important to, to tell, I mean, I, this is what I do. I mean, I'm always talking to Hashem, I tell him, look what this one did, look what that one did, look how good your people are. I was saying, you know, don't look, you know, I'll tabe layetzer, look at the good people. There's so much good, this crazy chesed going on. There's such unbelievable Jews, there's such serious nefesh. Before this time, and I always say, look, Hashem, look at your people. But, it, you know, we can't be negative with Hashem. We can't be frustrated with all the, the bad things people say. We have to, you know, just, you, we, if we keep hammering, you know, Hashem, look look how good your people are. I believe that, that, that he, he wants us, to, he wants us uh, to do that. You know, I always say that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu and, you know, so many of our, our, our great leaders, Avram, they were like good Jewish lawyers. You know, we sometimes need a good Jewish lawyer and you have to be on the right side and you have to convince a Kaddish Baruch Hu to look at the good and to, to, you know, come through for us because, you know, if you look at, you know, you can look at the bad. We don't want to look at the bad because that's just, that's the easy way. The, the hard way is to find the good and to emphasize the good and to remind God what's going on, the good stuff that's out there, the amazing, amazing people that the Jewish people are. I'm going to uh, just point out another question that came in through the chat that I've also heard from uh, many others. Um, I'll I'll take a just a quick stab at it, and I'm sure maybe Rabbi Shuren or, or Rabbi Tinshuren have something to add. Um, so Esther asked, how do you react to friends in the U.S. who say we should feel sorry for the good Arabs of Gaza and seek a truce? So I think that I... Think that in many ways that question is beyond the scope of you know certainly my expertise and and the Shuren's expertise. On the other hand, uh, I had one reaction which was very strong, um, you know, to that question because there's so much to say uh, to that person. But I think my real, I would really encourage as much as possible to just not engage in those kind of conversations and discussions uh, if it's hard for you. It takes a lot to be really well educated in advocacy and to really have the right words and things to say to people that want to challenge you on these issues. And for most of us right now who are feeling so much grief and vulnerability and sadness, to try to take on these issues is um, perhaps little bit more than what we need to add into our list of of challenges that's number one number two um there have been many comparisons to the um experience uh, currently in israel to things that happened in in germany and uh, and with hitler and the nazis and so forth i think today what we know is that there were no good nazis Right, and there were not really good Germans because they allowed what happened to happen. So in many ways, we're dealing with the same kind of situation. I'm not saying that all Arabs are bad and all Gazans are bad and that there's no not new, uh, that there's not innocent people that are being, um, you know, that are suffering, but we're not causing it. And we need to let go of our Jewish empathy 
and know that we're not causing it and that they have put all of us in this position of needing to do the things that we absolutely need to do. My son is in the Air Force and he was recently asked to speak to a group of American uh, women that were here in town and, and they were so you know enamored with this young man in the Air Force. And, um, and he explained to them that he left home when he was very young and he came to Israel on his own before we came and, uh, and, and he joined the Air Force and that he believes that his service is not service to the people of Israel. It's really service to the whole Jewish world. And it's something that we need to remember. We need to remember it every single day that this country is not just about the citizens that live here. It is, it, it needs to be here at all costs for the whole Jewish world forever. We can't be without it. And sometimes there are extremely painful, there is an extremely painful fallout, but we are not causing it. And if the people that you're engaging with can't understand this, we're dealing with enough and it's okay to just, um, you know, let it go. Look, I just want to add to that. You know, we very rarely begin, start wars and we almost never, I don't think we ever um, focus on, on, on bombing citizens. Part of the problem of war is, you know, when they say war is hell, Part of the problem is that innocent people are going to be affected by that. And the Hamas made that decision that they're going to have their country and their citizens affected. Now, a lot of those citizens obviously are sympathetic to Hamas. They voted them into power. Okay, Um, they didn't protest against them. And I don't really care if you say to me, well, they were too afraid. You have two million people in Aza, right? They could protest against Hamas. No question about it. But most of them are not interested. They're mostly interested in being hateful towards the Jews. The ones that are not, the ones that are parav because they're just making money, or the ones that, um, the ones that uh, really have a certain liking to Jews, right? The, if people like that die, it's not because Israel put them on the covenant. They didn't. They didn't aim for them. But in war, that's what's going to happen inevitably. We cannot stop a war because certain people are going to die uh, when we have to get rid of a cancer. Sometimes you have to cut out some good parts as well, right? And we know that when they operate on cancer, they sometimes have to cut out pieces that are beyond the cancer in order to make sure. And that's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. I realize it's very unfortunate. And they're also human beings. But at this point, that's a calculation that Hamas should have made before they made a pogrom. I have two things I want to add here, okay, and that uh, might be a little disturbing, but the first thing I would say to anyone who challenges us is, okay, take take them into our reality, okay? Tell them, okay, okay, you're living, you fill in the blank, okay, and a missile comes into your house. What do you do about it? Somebody just sent a missile and destroyed your house. You say, oh, well, I, I can't really you know, react to that because if I do, I might hurt someone on the other side. It, you know, the world doesn't work that way. The only people that are held to this ridiculous, you know, proportional damage, blah, blah, blah standard are us. Nobody else. I mean, Truman dropped bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 
you know, the it was Americans only it carpet was... bomb Dresden, and that's it. You know, you have to win the war. You have to cut off the head of the snake, and that's what has to be done. So that's the first thing I would tell them: What would you do? And I want you to know that the president of Israel was challenged this way. I just saw this interview a little while ago, and he said the same thing. Okay, the missile's coming in from somebody's kitchen into your house. What do you do? You don't want to head back to the kitchen? You have to retaliate. That's number one. And then the second thing that I want to say is, I'm, I might be disturbing people here, but I, I, I really feel this very strongly. Jews and Israel are the canary in the mine. Okay, whatever happens here is going to happen everywhere else. And in America, where they've let in 8 million, at last count, 8 million illegal people, okay, there's no question that some of those guys are terrorists. I hate to say it. I'm very afraid for America. And I want you to know that before 9-11 happened, all right, no one ever thought that anyone would attack America. So if you tell these people, listen, you want to support terrorism? You want to support terrorism? You can support terrorism. We are in the front lines of fighting terrorism. We're doing this for you. And let's see. Those are two points I would make. Number one, what would you do? And number two, they're coming for you. After us, they're coming for you. So you better be happy that we're fighting for them. For, for them. We're fighting for you and for them. Question number 10, what is the best perspective to take on why Hashem is doing this or allowing it to happen? Did he actively do this? Did he withdraw his hashkocha? How do we make sense out of the absence or presence of free will on the parties uh, of the parties involved? Okay, so look, I have my own take on this. I'm not going to go into it very much. Uh, basically, the question is, you know, What's Hashem's part in this? Listen, I, 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 whenever somebody blames God for something, I don't, I, 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 I get a little offended for God, okay? Um, and I'm like, I'm the type of guy to argue with God, but I get a little offended for God when someone blames God for something, especially something like this, okay? Um, there's a lot of different people that we can blame before God over here, okay? And God doesn't doesn't necessarily perform miracles because the government makes a mistake. He performs miracles when he performs miracles, and when the government does, you know, does, falls asleep, he doesn't necessarily have to perform miracles. And maybe we have to learn something from that. Um, and there's another thing that's very important is that I wonder if, let's say, the the Hamas would have killed five Jews. Let's say it would have killed five Jews. Do you think that we would have been now doing what we're doing? No, we wouldn't have been doing what we're doing. I'm positive. I mean, in other words, the government is really sending a message that we have to kill a thousand Jews to get us to do what needs to be done. What needed to be done years ago, okay? Hamas is nothing new, Okay. We just let it fester and become a cancer that spread. That's all. Every time we went into Aza or bombed Aza, we didn't take them out. And now we found out what happens when you don't take them out, right? Every time, you know, you make a stupid mistake by getting the Jews out of Gush Katif, you're going to pay for it. The only difference is the fellow who did that stupid thing is not alive any longer. 
His name was Ariel Sharon. He did something really, really stupid. And we I don't understand it till today, but it seems that when you become a polished politician in Israel, right, you first have to take a course in stupidity. And then you become a politician, right? He did something really stupid, and we've been paying for it ever since. And when we had an opportunity to destroy Hamas for four years, God said, you know, I'm going to have Rahmanus on you. I'm going to create a president in America that's really strange, but I'm going to do it. It's only Ashkocha that this guy could become president because he's such a strange guy, right, to be president, right? It's nothing to be proud about, but I'm going to do it for you Jews, for you guys, so you can take Gaza and put it into the sea. And you know what? President Trump wouldn't have said boo, okay? Um, and, and we didn't do it. We were afraid to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Trump had to hold Bibi's hand, okay? So Bibi did not do what needed to be done. He's scared to do what needs to be done. And I don't care if he's right wing or left wing, right? These people don't, the Muna they need to have is God just sent us a gift. He sent us a president that's going to allow us to do for four years. They didn't do a thing. They built a few houses on the West Bank. That's what they did. They could have done much more. So please don't blame God when God sends you a, a ship to save you and a helicopter to save you and a Trump to save you. Stop blaming God for it, okay? We have to blame ourselves for not doing what we needed to do. Okay, tips for balancing doing chesed for those who need right now versus doing chesed for your immediate family, small kids, okay? Again, if you have chesed for the family as opposed to for other people now that need it, if you can't explain it to your children, you have to take care of your children. If the children are old enough, they should be involved in it as well on their level, and therefore they should all know we're in this together. We're all brothers, we're all sisters. We're, the achta should be the stress over here. Now, um, how do we relate to family pressuring us day in and day out to leave the country? That is a great question, okay? Um, all the questions are actually very good, but this is the one, you know, the ones that really don't have good answers are the great ones, right? How do you convince your family, right? And the answer is that um, a lot of times people think when they're not in the mid middle of this, then who knows what's happening here, right? You know, everybody's in some sort of, uh, you know, um, in a safe room for the, you know, they're in there for 14 hours. You know, that's not what's going on, certainly in Jerusalem. In the South, it is going on. And if anyone's living in the South, I would tell their parents that I'm moving up to the North for now. Okay. Uh, but if you're living in Jerusalem and, you know, and, um, and you're really quite safe in Jerusalem, even in Beit Shemesh, which they had a number of sirens, a number of rockets falling. It's basically quite safe. Um, and, uh, and at this point, the parents have to understand they have to get perspective here, right? Um, I, I'm put, I put myself out to a number of students that I would speak to their parents. You know, I've been here a long time. I know, you know, the big wars from the little wars, the difficult wars from the easy wars. I know war is easy, but of course, relatively. Um, and uh, you have to try to explain as best as possible to a parent that we're really, um, 
we're really we really are in reality safe. We're okay here right now. We're definitely okay here right now. Um, and it's not a good thing for us to leave because, you know, all for one and one for all. We, you know, we're part of a country here. We're, we're, we came here because we have a certain amount of nationalism that we want to be with the other Jews here, especially at times of need, right? At times of need, a Jew doesn't run away, right? They run towards the battlefield, not away from the battlefield, as we see from our army, right? Um but if your parents are really pressuring you to leave and they're not sleeping at night and they're not eating and they're not, they can't function because they refuse to accept the logic of the situation because emotionally they're basket cases, then maybe you do have to leave for a certain amount of time and, and go there. But nobody should be leaving because it's not really safe. If, it's, if you're living in the South, you just should move to the North, right? And, uh, or to the center of the country. And generally, people are quite safe in the center of the country. It's not, it's not like a normal day in Israel, even in the center of a country, but it is pretty normal. People are going to work. People are going to school. No, no, no. People are, no, people are going to uh, yeshivas, I mean. They're going to yeshivas. Yeshivas are open. Um, and, uh, and schools are open, but they're open online. People are, are learning online. The schools are, are taking place. Now, schools would normally start right after Sukkot again, but, you know, they're still making certain decisions and watching and stuff like this. But the point is that life is pretty normal over here. I mean, compared to COVID, I think it's even more normal than we did during COVID. Uh, I actually know that parents told their kids to stay in Israel during COVID, which was interesting. Uh, <clears throat> Rabbi, now, there was a question in the chat if you're done with that one. Are you yeah. done with that one? Uh, not an easy question, but what does the Rav think is going, what does the Rav, how does the Rav thinks what is going on relates to the war of Gogu Magog? Yeah, um, I think somebody actually wrote me that over here as well. Um, I'm not ready, I told the person I'm not ready to say that it's Gogu Magog. If, if, um, if Iran gets involved, I want to reevaluate because Gogol Magog, according to the Abarbanel, is, um, is supposed to be actually not so much between the Jews and the Arabs, but between the Western world and the Muslim world. Okay, Western world meaning the Christian world versus the Muslim world. And America right now has, you know, during the Trump era, the, they were thinking one way, you know, the president now is thinking a little bit different, but he's coming around that he may have made a mistake. Um, and if the, if America goes head to head with Iran, then we're, we're going to begin to reevaluate if that, if that might be Gogu Magog. Um, but at this point, when it's still between us and Hamas, that's basically a cancer that we just have to get rid of. And I'm, I'm all for saying Aza first, but not stopping with Aza. Okay, we have Yudan Shomron, we have to go into Shechem, and we have to go into, um, into Janine and take out all the terrorists from there. And then we have to go and get rid of the threat in the north. We have to basically scare every Arab country out of their pants, just the way there was after the Six-Day War, right? That's the way it has to be always, okay? Because if you don't scare them, 
they're going to challenge you. Okay. Um, what do you tell yourself when you feel scared? How do you explain what is happening to kids? Again, if you're scared, obviously the kids are going to feel that. So let's start with yourself. How do you deal with being afraid, right? So with deal, being afraid, some, you know, different things work with different people, right? Some people can talk it, talk it themselves out of it logically. Some people cannot, right? They're just uh, neurotic about these types of war fears, you know? Um, so if a person has that, they can seek therapy, right? Which is a good idea. I think therapy is a good idea. Uh, if they need that, um, and they can um, they can read about emuna and bitachon books about emuna and bitachon that even you know kololam kulo gesher tzar maod ve'ikar right they have to read svarim that will deal with this issue, uh, and there are English svarim that deal with this issue, um, and you know those are one you know some of the ways that we deal with it, therapy. Good books, we logic, you know, things aren't as terrible. Be around friends, be with friends who can calm you down. A lot of times we have friends who can calm you down, even though you're not too calm, but you go to a friend and they able to calm you down. You know, at this time, being together with other people is quite important, even though, you know, people are nervous to go to other people's homes to what if the siren goes off. But, you know, everybody can take at least one person into their safe room when they have to. So you go to another person's house, you talk to them about your fears, talk to a therapist about the fears, you talk to Hashem about the fears. A lot of these things work. I'll tell you what I tell my daughters who can't sleep. Half a cup of wine. That also works. <laughs> Half a cup of wine is a very... Uh, relaxes you. It relaxes you. and Also, you... deep breathing. And also, so. music. Put on the music, but not the, you know comforting music, not the yeah, not, not the, nothing depressing, not depressing, but not too loud. You know, just comforting. Uh, yes, loud. You know, now you uh, get new mamina b'nei mamina. There's yeah. a lot of really good songs that are going to give you koach. Right, and you know what? You have to do that for yourselves. You know, I I cannot in in a state of fear. I cannot sit and read a book on the moon. With all due respect, my dear, you cannot do that. I don't, I didn't say everybody could do it. Yeah, there are you people can do that. I can't do that. I actually and my don't do it, can't even do though that. I could. My daughters and my daughters in law tell them, have a little wine, sit and chill, have a coffee with a friend, get on the phone, read a good book, you know, chill. Wine Listen. is definitely good, and something stronger than wine is even better. And music, but, and music, music is good. Music is amazing. Put on some music, especially. Rabbi and Rabbitson, people want me to send out the recording of this afterwards. You have to be careful what you say. <laughs> yeah, a cup of wine, nothing more than that. Right. A revise. Yeah. But I, I want to just say one of the amazing things in Israel is that the all the schools have been organizing uh, meetings for the parents. Um, with leading psychologists and so forth to try. I really, I, I can, can't go to so many of them, the, the ones that I'm, you know, encouraged to go to, but the ones that I did go to, they're all saying the same thing and I'm experiencing it with my kids. People are feeling too guilty to take care of themselves. 
you know, they think that if you are have a glass of wine or you listen to music that somehow you're doing something wrong during this time. And that is guilt. very, yeah, it's the guilt. It's I very- I have to be guilt. miserable because the country's miserable. No, you have to be happy because the country's miserable. You have to be a good mother to your children and you have to be a good example to other people and you have to help keep other people's spirits up because if you get into that negativity, they win. You need to remember, like Rabbi Nachman says, it's very hard, very, very hard. And one of my daughters told me, I go, I go into the bathroom and then I cry. And then I come out and I'm like, I'm good with the kids. It's, it's very sad. It's very sad. And you have, to, you have to overcome it because getting yourself into a state of depression doesn't do anybody any good. Nobody. You can't do that. And of course... Um, especially for the kids, it's not good. And um, and you have to try to explain it to each kid on their level, you know, that talk to them about, you know, the Jewish the Jewish nation, talk to them how special we are, talk to them about how we always have to fight for our existence, you know, and we have to be strong because of that. We have to be resilient because of that. And we have a mission in this world that nobody else has. You know, make them proud. You want to make your kids proud of being Jewish. That's a tremendous goal. Um, <clears throat> now, when people bring up being Shoma Shabbos or modesty as Shmirah, it really, really bothers me. It reminds me of linking sneers to the Holocaust. Am I wrong for feeling this way? You are absolutely right for feeling this way. I agree with you who said that. Sneers, sneers. Blame is, the women. It's always, always the women's the women. fault. Right, right. That's always the women's fault. Even though we had one woman down in, in the South that killed five hilarious. She killed five terrorists, right? Imbal, Lieberman killed five terrorists. And not only that, she saved the whole kibbutz. Okay? Okay? This left-wing person who's who 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 comes to protest against the against I, the I government? Say that she was left yes, really. Yeah, I read about her, right? But she saved that whole kibbutz, okay? So, and I don't know how sneez she is. I'm not sure, but she saved that whole kibbutz, okay? So, sneez is not is not the issue over here, and either is Shabbos, okay? I know we like the whole world to keep Shabbos, and we have chazals about it and everything. What we need is achdus. We see that we got punched in the face because of a lack of achdus. That's what seems to be most logical here. Not Shabbos. There's been problems with Shabbos for years and years and years. I wouldn't, I, I would say achdus is the positive. The reason it seems to me is the same old, same old. It's in Achinam. Right. We had this, exactly. we had this people rejecting other people for, for, for stupid things. And now all of a sudden we're all brothers. And that's, to me, it's kind of tragic that we have to get to this place so that we could say we're all in this together. What is up with that? Why can't that's we why be I said, nice to people when it's, you know what? There's a good Jew over there. He may not look like you. And he, you know what? It's very interesting because we, you know, guys, we know we moved to give us a, this is a whole different world over here. And people just, they're nice. They're like, they don't care what you are. And I really sometimes feel like the whole Jewish world needs to get a dose of that. You're another Jew. That's that's good. We we just love Jews. And and that's 
it it seems so clear that that's the message. That's the that's the message. What was happening to us? What was going on here? That people were fighting on Yom Kippur. It was it was horrific, horrific, right? Is this is that Yom Is that is that what I want on, on a fast day? So Hashem is, is like you said, it's a very, very difficult blow. But we have to take the messer because if we don't take the messer, then it was all for nothing, and that's even worse than just I'm suffering for. You know, it, it, it's so awful that it's so mind-boggling. So we have to really, you know, take away the right message and just. And I think that if everybody can just take on one small extra act for other people. You know, just everybody should say, okay, you know, some small bit of some, you know, extra, you know, I, it's funny because we were sitting in the sukkah, you know, with Baidana, and I was saying that, you know, I try to make sure that I, I give a phone call every day of encouragement to somebody. There's always people out there who are having a hard time. And I try to make sure that I give a phone call of encouragement to some person. It's it's just, it's what I, you know, and I feel like now, even more that, I, you know, I want to just, everybody should take on one small act of to do your bit to heal heal these rifts. And not necessarily with someone who's like you, but someone who maybe who's not like you. Now, number 15 is, we're almost at the end. Um what would the Torah say about our obligation to redeem captives? This is a very huge question um, that we're not dealing with yet. I mean, Israel's probably dealing with behind the behind the scenes. Um, I, I'm, I I actually don't agree with Israel on some of their policies about captives, um, but but uh, till now they haven't asked me about it, so it isn't going to really matter. Uh, the Torah doesn't look kindly on the Chazal, you know, Masechet Kitten and so on and so forth. They don't look so kindly on people who get, um, who uh, threaten because they don't, Jews have soft hearts to, you know, to get the Jews to redeem people, pay exorbitant prices in many different ways, right? That is a question whether you're really allowed to do that. Obviously, I'm not on the level to be able to deal with it. The government is going to deal with it in their own way, and Rafa Rashi will deal with it in his own way, and maybe they'll consult with Rabbanim, I don't know, but um, right now, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, you know, very little, I'm sure things are going on behind closed doors, um, and um, I just, I, you know, we hope and pray that, you know, Hamas, you know, sends those, terror, those, uh, those uh, prisoners home, you know, I don't know if that's possible, but uh, I hope they send them home uh, very, very quickly. Very complicated on what to do about uh, captives. At one point, if ever, should we consider going home? I have, I actually have what to say about this. I'll give it in short. Uh, people living in Israel should consider going home when they feel the government is not taking care of them. Okay. When the government and the army is not taking care of the people, they should go home. I don't know where home is because I'm not sure if you go to America, the government and the, the army is taking care of them either over there. But if you feel safer in a different country because the government and the army is not taking care of you, meaning 
it's really the government because the army will do whatever the government says, uh, then it's a time. I'm, I'm saying this isn't a reality. I felt like I wanted to leave the country in the year 2000, 2001, I think it was, when people were being bombed in stores, being blown to smithereens, and nobody seemed to be doing anything about it. Okay, until Ariel Sharon came and he um, he changed it again very significantly. And it was, you know, he went from house to house in Janine and he rooted out all the cancer there. That's what has to be done now. If the now the government looks like they are taking care of us, uh, even though there was there was a major um, there was a major, you know, blooper. We call it in this, and we're gonna. People are gonna have to pay for this. Uh, so many human lives were cost uh, because of it. But generally speaking, if you feel the government is not taking care of the people or yourself, then I think it is time not to live in a country where you feel unsafe because of that. Um, yeah. Now, uh, as a people That's... who believe firmly in divine providence, how do we make any sense of our relationship to God, especially after all? Hoshanot and Sukkot. Um, how do we make sense out of it? I told you, you know, if you want to make, you want to accept what I'm saying, it has to do with the fact that, you know, the people did not live what the way God wants them to live. And there's a payoff for that. There's a payoff for such a thing. Again, it's very complicated because, you know, what's the fault of the government? What is God's fault? What is man's fault here? Um, there's definitely a message God wants us to get. You know, did he need to do it this way? Obviously, if he did it this way, God needed to do it this way. Is it God? Is it, is it, uh, is it the government? Is it the people? It's very hard to know. And therefore, I think we have to go beyond this question and say, okay, now that this happened, what do we need to do to make sure it never happens again? I just want to add something here. It's a very, very, very difficult questions about Amuna and about what Hashem's doing and why he's doing it. I was just going through uh, the Nachyomi uh, with the OU, and they, they just, uh, not a long time ago, finished Sefer Eov. So amazing uh, uh, woman who was doing it, was teaching that book, uh, Dr. Esther Schkop. And uh, it's kind of hard to summarize Eov. But the, the pain that Eo feels, a great deal of the pain that Eo feels and expresses is because he doesn't understand. And how can it be that he's done so much good and he is so good and, and, and his whole life has been you know, serving God? How, how could it be? And in the end, we never really get an answer to that question. But what does happen is that through his suffering, Eo becomes closer to Kaddish Baruch says, how could you possibly understand me? How could you possibly understand anything I do? You, you're just, you know, uh, in, in the timeline of, of God's world, we're just a, like a little, you know, footnote. He says, you can't possibly understand, but what you can do is live your life and serve Kaddish Baruch and attempt to get closer to him, because that's really the goal. And I think that if we can set aside all of the, you know, why, why, what Sadik Baralo, it's just, you know, if you put a, if you put an answer on this, then you're not fair and you're not right. 
And that's what the friends of Eov tried to do. They tried to say, why does it write, oh, you must have done something wrong, or maybe this, or maybe that. And they keep trying to figure it out. You cannot figure out why a good person suffers. You cannot figure that out. And only God knows why good people suffer. Why was there a Holocaust? All through the centuries, good people go through unspeakable things. And we, we don't, don't know why, we but don't again, as Rav Soloveitchik says, the question has to be now, what do I do now that these people suffered? What can I do to to write this that now that people suffered? And we go forward. And there's one aspect is to get rid of Hamas. Another aspect is how do we how do we empathize with you know with these people that suffered and how do we help them? That's what's really important here. It's also important to use your own suffering to try to get closer to Kaddish Baruch Hu, to, to talk to, to Kaddish Baruch Hu. I, I really am a very big believer. Talk to Kaddish Baruch Hu. Tell him what you're feeling. Tell him, you know, that whatever, you know, Abraham said, well, what are you doing, God? Like there's so many great people who over the, you know, the centuries challenged God. And like my husband said, you know, God wants us to do that. Rabbi Sachs said that God wants us to come forward and say, you know, what? We, we don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. Help us out here. And a Baruch who can fix anything and, and do anything. So, you know, we've just davened that this horrible situation. And of course, when ends, God ends quickly many and times, easily. And many times things are very good that happen and we don't take note of it. Like I said before, only when we have evil things happening in our lives. And this is human this is a human thing that we take note of it we blame god uh but when good things happen we have to remember also to thank god last question given the alarming rise of disunity among the jewish people and the timing of the war can we see it as a sign from hashem that we need achdus uh isn't the war a heavy price to pay this is a question by carol and um it's of course Carol, I, I believe, is right on over here, is uh, there was an alarming rise in disunity that we never had before, and there was a wake-up call here. Have, I just have to be honest that five Jews died down in, in, in Kibbutz Beiri or somewhere else. Would we have taken note of the fact that maybe that's because there's a disunity? I hate to say it, but I don't think we would have taken note of it. Um, and therefore... Uh, we needed something to really jar us. It's very unfortunate. We shouldn't need that. One Jew dying should be enough to jar you. One Jew dying should be enough to f go into, into Gaza and take out all the terrorists, just like we're doing now. One Jew's enough for it. And it's a very big problem when you need a thousand Jews to do that. Um, isn't the war a heavy price to pay? Yes, it's a very heavy price to pay. And I really hope because we're paying such a heavy price that we really change ourselves qualitatively in the future and don't allow what's going, what went on for so many months to continue going on in the future and work very hard to make sure both a, 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 a massacre like this doesn't take place anymore and a lack of achdus doesn't take place like this anymore. Rabbi Rebbiton, thank you. Really, there we've been on for two hours. There's still 60 people that have hung in there with us. 
<laughs> it's really and many more that have just you know have just signed off so people really wanted to hear what you had to say and they appreciated what you had to say and um and i think that you gave us all a direction and a perspective that is um both tangible and real and something that is sus sustainable in the long term um, and we're always grateful for you, but especially during these times. And I'll just say to everybody else who's still on the call, thank you for being with us. It's really wonderful to see uh, so many of you, to see all of you. Thanks for being here, uh, you know, throughout. And um, we are all very, very, very busy, but we want to be here for you so if you have questions if you have follow-up questions if you have uh, anything that you're struggling with or you you uh, want to reach out to us with we will try it might not be you know immediately but we will try to be there for you and before you go and i really should have said this at the beginning we're uh, launching a wonderful learning initiative uh next monday the first week will be together with Rabbi Karlinski. We're going to do about 10 to 15 minutes a day on a certain chapter in the Sefer Amunan Bitachon of the Chazon Ish. And then the week after that, Rabbi Shuren will pick a topic and a source to learn with all of us again, 10 to 15 minutes a day on Zoom. And if we can't make it on the Zoom, there'll be ways to access the recording. So please, everybody that's interested, it's Dovi, guys. Anyone that's interested, look at the email that we sent out today and sign up. Um, we really hope that together with all of our learning and community building within our own uh, Chappelle's and Midrashat Rachel community, that this adds to the uh, merits and this chusim on behalf of all of Am Yisrael. So good night, good afternoon, wherever, whatever it is by you. And um, let's see each other again, like Rabbi said, for, for Simchas.